0: As you're listening to me, Daisy, Apple's iPhone disassembly robot, is dismantling an iPhone into lots of recyclable parts. That's how Apple recovers more materials than conventional recycling methods. Thanks, Daisy. There's more to iPhone. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. Healthcare tri-term medical plans are available for these changing times.
1: This is The Game Podcast from The Times. Euro 2020 is just days away. Today, we'll look forward to a summer of national pride and all the drama that comes with a long overdue international tournament. To help me, Matt Dickinson, Henry Winter and Tom Clark as we take a look at England's chances. What happened in those two warm-up games? Who'll be starting the opening game? And why fans are booing the taking of the knee? Answers on the way on the game, Euro 2020. Gentlemen, Matt, Tom, Henry, how are you? Are we excited for Euro 2020 yet? Uh, bring it on! Bring it on! Yes, going all the way.
2: I don't know who I'm, I don't know. I'm saying it is going all the way, but someone will. And um, yeah, yeah, we need we need we need a good summer of sport, don't we? It's. Um, uh yeah, let's let's hope that it uh, it delivers. But that's no, it's not just for
3: England. Yeah, football's coming home, but probably to uh, Brussels or Paris. <laughs> <laughs> we'll talk
1: a little bit later on on how England fans should be feeling going into this, whether it's more hope than expectation or vice versa. But we'll start with the England warm-up game. Gareth Southgate, the manager, really doing his best to dampen... Some expectation on his team. A one-nil win over Romania at the Riverside to add to that one-nil victory over Austria. Both games saw England playing in a four-two-three-one formation. They may be laboured in both matches. Uh, Matt, I- I'll start with you. What do you make of England's preparations as a whole? Because of course, uh, players of Manchester United, Manchester City, Chelsea not massively involved in the warm-up games.
2: Yeah, well, Gareth Southgate started the preparations by saying, you know, they're more challenging than for any other country, and I think that's proven to be the case. I mean, I, I, I think I and we can only hope that he has a clear idea in his mind of of the team he wants, the the system he wants, because those two matches aren't going to, you know, solve any, you know, uh, any puzzles. You know, Jack Grealish was the winner out of the two games. I don't think anyone disputes that. But, you know, um, there were also, you know, the biggest worry, obviously, I'm sure we'll get on to his centre-half, you know, um, Ming's played both games and I have to say, watching him yesterday, he looked unpickable for that game against Croatia. We know Maguire obviously didn't appear. Um, Henderson got a 45 minutes, but obviously, again, I, it doesn't look to me like, you know, he's about to start a, a competitive match in the tournament. So, you know, it was, you know, don't want to get too damn beat before we've even got into it, but that, that is, as preparation goes, it is far from
1: ideal. Henry, you may be feeling a little bit sorry for Gareth Southgate, given what Matt's just said and not having maybe his best players at his disposal.
3: Not too much sympathy for uh, for an England manager when you look at the attacking resources that he's got in comparison with recent years. I mean, Matt rightly w- mentioned Grealish, and he was outstanding. But I think maybe a week ago, everyone was expecting his uh, his attacking lineup against Croatia. Obviously, be Harry Kane up top, Phil Foden on the right side of the, the attacking trident behind Kane, because Foden's been outstanding this season. Mason Mounts. You know whether it was in the Champions League final or big games for Chelsea towards the the end of the season has been absolutely outstanding. He's a favourite of um, Southgate's anyway. And then as Marcus Rashford showed yesterday with his captaincy and his penalty, as he's shown throughout the season for uh, for Manchester United, you know he's a he's, he's, he's a key player. So you know, and there, and there are other players who can come in there. The fact he's able to leave out Jesse Lingard, who had a strong end of the season for West Ham. Uh, Grudish, is he going to start with Grudish on the bench? So I don't have too much sympathy with him in terms of the attacking element. I think he's been unfortunate in the injuries to Maguire, Trent Alexander, Arnold. And as Matt wrote so cogently in his column today from the Riverside, you know, Jordan Henderson is a, is a big issue and you assume that's why he's brought uh, Ben White in because he can cover positions in midfield as well as centre-half. Uh, you know, the problem with Southgate is that he, he gets a fairly easy ride because he's, he got England to the semifinals because he's such a good guy, because he handles things like the knee, like injuries, like the whole chaos and circus around England so adroitly. But if you actually look closely, and this is something we have raised with him on quite a few occasions, he's quite inconsistent. You know, he's always said he will pick on form. And he hasn't always picked on form. He says he won't take injured players to tournaments. He's taken Maguire and Henderson to a tournament. And now, with every passing day, Maguire's, you know, <laughs> he's almost going to say he'll, he'll be fit for the final if he'll get there. He, where he's, he's been fortunate, although ironically he argued against uh, bringing this in, was the extra three places because of COVID, which actually has allowed given him that license to 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 take um, Henderson and, and Maguire, but uh, yeah, I don't I don't, you know, I don't have too much sympathy for him.
1: Maybe more questions and answers, Tom. After the first two warm up games, there, what did we learn about England
4: in those matches? I think we learned that lots of fans have reason to be a bit confused and a bit worried. I think Henry and Matt will obviously remember far better than me. But you go into tournaments and you want a settled settled system, a settled team, and. I mean, I think we've we've argued before on the podcast, haven't we, between back three and 4-3-3 three, three, and now all of a sudden we've got an, another system, 4-2-3-1, to be discussing and contemplating. Um, it, it feels a little bit confused. As Matt said, he's obviously got the Champions League finals and things like that in his defence. But I mean, yeah, it's very frustrating, I'm sure, for Southgate, the Maguire injury, as Henry alludes to, not knowing the seriousness of it kind of hampers the discussion around it because I saw lots of pundits yesterday starting to advocate for a return to a back three. Um, I don't know whether any of us feel that that should be the case, whether again, as Gregor has long argued on the podcast, you don't play to your weaknesses, but you start to think without Harry Maguire, is it really going to be a back two involving either Ben White or Tyrone Mings? Is that the best way to go? But then as Henry says, there's so much attacking talent. So do you just buckle down and go bold and think, oh, well, we've got the talent up top to beat these teams. As I say, I'm not, I'm not providing any answers here. I'm just throwing out more questions, which is only proof of the difficult situation Southgate's in with a, less than a week to go to the first game. We will come to uh,
1: the formation a little bit later on. But we, we did find out this morning, Ben White of Brighton, as has been mentioned already, is the 26th man in Southgate squad, replacing Trent Alexander-Arnold. Um, do you think that's the right decision, Matt? You know, I was an advocate for James Ward-Prowse, who can obviously play central midfield, but of course can't cover that de- central defensive area. Has, has Southgate made a smart decision? Uh, well, I,
2: I, th- I certainly think it's a sensible decision. I mean, I've seen, you know, I mean, we should never read too much into s- social media, but we we, we do anyway. Um, but, you know, sort of instantly people throwing out, oh, fast, you know, he's got two caps you know one minute he's not even in the squad now you know nowhere near the squad now he's in but you know he lost a, he lost a defender in trent and he's a versatile defender and he's brought in a versatile defender he's also seen that mings uh on the form of these two games can you really trust him a center half in the, in these big matches you've also seen you know he he will have more information than we do about mcguire's fitness um maybe you know the, the idea of going in with just John Stones and Cody with Mings as backup as long as Maguire's injured is, uh, frankly, pretty worrying. So I, I think it does make sense. I think Ward-Prowse did some really good stuff yesterday. You know, his dead balls are impressive, but I, I don't see him getting involved. You know, I think there'd have to be an awful lot of of injuries and setbacks for Ward-Prowse to come on. Is it, You know, is he a guy that, you know, there's a lot of good set-piece players in the team, uh, certainly in the squad. And I I just, I think Ben White is more likely to end up on the pitch than Ward Prowse is. And I I think there's a simple logic to that, you know, um, it's not a question of who's the better footballer. It's a question of needs must. And, um, you know, just on the Maguire and Henderson one, you know, people are, again, never take, you know, this idea that sort of, you can't take injured players. I mean, you know, we have had, we've seen in the past of trusting, certainly playing unfit players and that's certainly not a mistake that we want to make again but we have to remember this is a 26 man squad now not a 23 and Maguire you know given our weakness at centre half I understand I actually I do understand it I mean if if he is you know if, if seriously unfit then obviously it's you know if it doesn't get near the tournament then it's it's, it's not going to look clever but are we are we seriously thinking that you know um the sort of 20, the 25th, 26th choice is is going to make all the difference here. I, I'm really not
1: sure it is. Henry, why don't England prepare well for tournaments? They've not won seven of their opening games at the last nine major tournaments. They, they never, we always seem to get to this first game. I've spoken about it earlier on this season in the podcast. I promised everyone we would get to the first match. We wouldn't know what the team would be in what system they would be playing. And that's proven to be true, but it's, it's nothing to do with Gareth Southgate. I mean, Managers of much better quality than his have had the same. W- 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 why are England like this?
3: It's partly the intensity of the season, and you're also seeing it particularly this season. With with what was it eleven players of his uh, of his squad were involved in European finals. I think the intensity with which I mean, people have been questioning Marcus Rashford's. Form at times this season was he distracted by the amazing work he's doing on, off the pitch he's played 60 games this season while carrying a foot injury while carrying a shoulder injury either of which might require minor surgery after the tournament and he's not alone I mean, you know you, t- you talk to the players you talk to the people around them a lot of them are carrying injuries it's been a very intense Season um, I know it this affects a lot of other people, but actually the, the the English players we always do this you know that old I know Platini's discredited in footballing terms, but as for a footballing eye, he was always very good on the English. He always says they are you know lions in the autumn, lambs you know come the summer because you know they're, they're, they're shattered. that's why I think England's best chance is going to be Qatar. And I know it shouldn't be in Qatar for all the many reasons uh, that, you know, on, on moral grounds, on the voting grounds and whatever. But actually, on the simple football grounds, it's going to help England because England players won't be knackered when they get there. So coming back to your point, Hugh, England tend to start tournaments uh, poorly, partly because the players are just recovering and getting up to speed. I mean, there was one tournament where I can remember two players needed vitamin injections when they reported to England duty because this was a few years back because they've been on the lash after a big trophy win and 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 some of them are just sort of knackered as as you know, as well so look it's a uh, look, it affects all the it affects many squads it affects many managers particularly with so many playing in the sort of the, the intense um, Premier League but I just think that it's uh, it's an English thing. and it's quite interesting if you talk to the people, and I've not done this recently, but medical people around England, they say that English players are not very good at pacing themselves through the season. So like Roberto Carlos, when he was at Real Madrid and then he'd prompt for Brazil, he would have two training schedules. One for Real Madrid to keep him ticking over for games, and also another one to make sure that he peaked for Brazil in the World Cup in the summer. So I don't think England quite have that sophistication of approach because it's just all in. Hence, coming back to your, your point, they don't look so fresh in the first game.
1: I wonder why we do this job we can just lift our stories every four years come back print the same thing change the names of the players they were tired too many games do we need the league cup we can do it all over again Matt yeah I, d- I, d- I hope one thing that we've learned from that though is
2: just that we are a smarter more technical team and that's you know one of the great strengths of getting through tournaments is to be able to take the heat out of games and generally you can take the heat out of games by you know controlling the, the tempo and controlling the ball and you know uh, you yeah, you know, there is, shall we say, some youthful excitability about this squad, um, uh, which can be a strength. You know, we we wait to see how it plays out in tournament conditions, but it's certainly a, a technical squad. You know, it's got players that you would hope and and expect that can, you know, shield the ball, protect the ball, knock it around the likes of Mason Mount, the likes of, of Foden, who, you know, should be the match for, for anyone. You, you know, you're going into a game against Croatia thinking, well, yeah, these guys have got, you know, they should be able to hold their own technically. And I mean, that was obviously the... The issue in 2018 um, was that partly a partly a system issue, but also that we just you know couldn't play out through the lines. We got stuck as a back five, got outnumbered in midfield. But I think there is reason to think we shouldn't be outnumbered in midfield this time, and we should be say technically capable of of holding our own. And that's that's certainly one way of a big way of combating that sort of age old issue of of
4: chasing around and and fatigue. I think it comes down to whether. That uncertainty that we're discussing in terms of off-the-pitch system, who to play, who's injured and how injured they are, feeds into the play on the pitch, which we've seen so often in tournaments with England. Um, But one thing we have going for us this time is that we have players like Phil Foden and Jack Grealish who don't play to those rules. They play their own brilliant games. And I've been a long, long advocate for picking a system and sticking to it. And actually, the closer we get to a tournament and I watch these games where players like grealish are quite clearly the standout performer. I almost think southgate would be better off just embracing the uncertainty and playing picking players who are capable of the unpredictable and just kind of, you know, picking on form of and from the season as henry says people like phil foden and and, and attacking and having that as the starting point um, because if if the indecision around systems and who's fit enough feeds into those young players then it can have a seriously detrimental
3: effect, I think. The good thing about Southgate is that by nature and by experience, he's a very calm individual. He's obviously driven. He wants to do well. But I think when you've been through a real media storm – and a real national storm like missing a penalty at Euro 96 when he got 4,000 abusive letters including one from someone who's actually inside who said to Southgate what written in crayon um, the reason why I'm inside is because when you miss that penalty against the Germans I ran out of my pub wherever he was and smashed up every German car I could find and that's why I'm inside I think once you've been through that he has a certain sort of perspective on the sort of you know the chaos and the circus and, uh, around England which, which is really could. I mean, i I think for the first time, I actually saw him annoyed. I think, I think Dicker, you might have been in on the, the, the Zoom call when he was just talking about um, the speculation about whether Trent Alexander-Arnold would be in the squad or not. And he said, yeah, I had something written about me, about that I was obsessed with Bake Off, Great British Bake Off, and that I have Bake Off parties and it's my dream when I finish managing England to go on the Great British Bake Off. And he was really, that's the first time I've actually ever seen him truly annoyed. With, uh, with England so he does in a, in a strange way he's a perfect person to be England manager at the moment particularly with this young crop of players coming through because so I think Southgate is better with, with younger players as Tom says they're, they're a pretty fearless bunch he, but he's got a huge call to make because if he leaves Mason Mount out I, t- I don't really see unless he unless he's truly brave and he plays Mount alongside his old mate Declan Rice in a holding two and allows Mount to push on for that which would be a risk against Croatia you really want Calvin Phillips alongside um, Declan Rice in there because Croatia is so strong in the centre but if he was he's got a huge call to make about leaving Jack Grealish out Grealish has been outstanding these last two games He's uh, he, he makes things happen he wins free kicks he is special but are you going to leave Marcus Rashford out, who's so good on the left, who's always, who's never let England down. And Grealish, obviously, we know, as he showed, he finished the game yesterday, cutting in from the left, won the penalty. Or are you going to, you can't leave Phil Foden out with the form he's had? So, look, you know, he is in a difficult position, but actually, from an attacking perspective, actually, that is quite a nice. Situation for, 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 for Southgate to be in. And I do like the fact that he's so calm. And one final thing I'll say about Southgate, he's very fortunate. He's got some great people around him. You look at Steve Holland is so important. And um, and Graham Jones, who I think, came in. He was very interesting. He was having long chats with individual players last night, particularly with John Stones. So he's having an influence as well. So I feel quite... Positive, but I just think England have got to get through just this horrendously tricky Croatia games. The, the order of the games have f- have fallen really cruelly for England.
2: I agree with Henry on that selection thing. I mean, I think that's the key thing. I, I think basically he's going to come, it, it will come down to probably um, Grealish. Um, being left out because I do think he's going to need a flyer. I think otherwise you do become one paced. I think Kane's going to be dropping deep. So I think Rashford probably plays as I don't think his form is great. Um, um, but it's probably slightly better than Raheem Sterling's. So I think you have a flyer, you have Foden on one side, on the other side. And I think in midfield, you know, as Henry says, you could, you, um, I think he probably will end up probably picking Phillips. Um, especially with worries at centre-half. I think he'll just feel like he wants to have a bit of belt and braces as as cover. I mean, personally, I I, I would be excited as the tournament goes on, if England gets the momentum to see Bellingham more in that number eight role potentially because I think he provides not just potential cover but so much box-to-box dynamism. Um, But I think, yeah, if I was putting a fiver on it now, I'd put it on Phillips starting on alongside Rice just because I think with with defensive issues uh, and then Mount obviously and then yeah Grealish possibly losing out because you do need the speed um, of of one of the flyers uh,
1: alongside Kane. Of course fans have booed the taking of the knee in league football but now it's happening not just for club but country as well and it's likely to continue. At the weekend in the Times, uh, the Leader article in the comment pages, I'll, I'll quote here, said, taking the knee had exhausted its purpose and is now more divisive than helpful. And and look, since so many people across the media spectrum are discussing it today, I thought I'd ask you, gentlemen, what your thoughts are on it. Matt, more divisive than helpful? What do you think? It's certainly proving divisive. Um, I was there yesterday, obviously, and
2: and yeah, I mean, it's just that horrendous... Yeah, horrendous, discordant noise of, of, of booing. And despite Gareth Southgate, I thought delivering one of the most impressive messages I've heard from an England manager on the eve of the game to explain the thinking behind it, to ask that any fan thinking of booing just takes a second to put themselves in the shoes of a Marcus Rashford and just, or a Bellingham 17 coming out and hearing, you know, hearing fans booing something that is as Southgate couldn't have gone out of his you know, way more to explain is not a political move in their eyes. It is simply, um, anti-discrimination. So the noise is horrendous, but the the, the reality is we do not seem to be getting through to those, that, that minority. It, it did feel like a minority, albeit a, a scarily big minority. Um, I do, you know, I think Southgate himself acknowledged in that address that there is a time and a place to look beyond the taking of the knee. I think he addressed that, you know, there, there is, I mean, clearly, it, in itself, it is a gesture. I mean, there is meant, you know, meant to be a whole lot more, deeper moves taking place. That's you know to do with the football authorities, to do with clubs um, looking at far more systemic issues about representation and about employment chances. So you know, it is it is a gesture, but I can understand why, having heard those boos, I thought it was hugely admirable the way that Southgate said, you know, we're not going to be booed out of doing it, and that. Uh, the other thing, I think the thing that was hugely impressive about him was that he said, as a, you know, middle-aged white man, the first thing he's going to do is listen. And I thought that was, you know, he's going to sit down with his players and he, you know, he's going to listen to what, a uh, you know, young, well, I was going to say young black men, but it's not just the young black men in the squad, but the, the young men in the squad tell him that they think is the right thing to do. And again, you know, Southgate, his, his leadership on this type of thing is the best of, of any England manager I think of any manager I've seen um, in in my time in the game and say it, it, it's I, I thought I think he's handled it incredibly adroitly and I think they're the fact that they're going to do it um, through this tournament was um, yeah well they, they feel it sincerely from the heart is the right thing to do and who could disagree with that.
1: Henry, what do you think of it all? Um, There are many that that feel it was inevitable that fans would boo. What tone does it set for the squad going into the tournament?
3: Well, this has been going on for 25... 30 years in terms of sort of the uh, sort of my experience of, of covering it. I think we moralize a lot about the, the racist abuse that England, the England national team, uh, receive abroad. Remember the sort of horrific scenes in Bulgaria. When it, personally, I felt, and we had an argument with Southgate about this in the stadium afterwards, I think he should have taken the players off because at some point in the next. Year, two years, maybe in a qualifier in some far-flung place, maybe closer to home. The England national team will walk off and say, "Enough is enough. We're not standing for racist abuse. You can't have sport in such an unsporting environment." And the players will walk off, and it will. Be, and I've talked to the players about this, and it, you know, because some of them are so slightly conflicted, but actually, they're now moving, all around, you know, white and black alike, all now getting behind the idea that England will walk off and probably be the first national team, first major team to walk off, and it will be head news all around the world and I think when we moralise about the sort of the Bulgarians and how England could have walked off that night, we then have to look closer to home. We have to look at the effectively the, the abuse that Marcus Rashford due Bellingham who's on the bench but all the black players who are involved in that squad effectively receive from their own supporters and I think this is so damaging and this is going to be a story throughout the tournament as long as England stay in and I think it's on a very simple footballing perspective it's very counterproductive because you've got players out there who are thinking well actually The supporters up there, you know, waving their flags and singing football's coming home, are not truly behind me and what I stand for. My experiences, Raheem Sterling, the racism that he experienced growing up, the the journey that Marcus Rashford and Tyrone Mings people... Players, good players for their country have been through and they're not on their side and I think it's a real pity particularly when you look when England came home from Russia the fans out in Russia were were fantastic the England fans they rebuilt their reputation they rebuilt the bond with the England national team which hit it's Nadir partly under Hodgson uh, in Nice uh, against Iceland at the end of the, the last years but also in Malta under Southgate when the England fans were just so shocked by the goal this first half performance I think it was in 2017 they picked up their flag and just walked out of the stadium and went back into town. Southgate, the senior players, um, the Football Association have been working really hard to just to rebuild this relationship partly through using the media as a conduit to tell the stories of the players but also just by appealing to the fans and the fans are now, and it's not a majority but it's a very substantial very vocal, very ill-educated minority, have turn, are t- effectively turning on these players and saying we have different values to you and the values that Marcus Rashford when he takes an knee, Marcus Rashford isn't a, isn't a Marxist by any stretch of the imagination he is supporting human values, he's not supporting any political movement and the fans who Who booed have actually got to wake up realizing how they're embarrassing themselves, realizing how they're setting. Uh, the reputation of England fans back and realise how much they're damaging the England team as footballers and also as people. But I think, sadly, as everyone's saying, it will continue and it will harm people. And just coming back to where we came in, I thought the Times editorial on it was wrong. I think the, I don't know who wrote it. Dick, I, I assume it wasn't you because you wouldn't have come up with that, that argument. But it clearly wasn't someone who'd spent any time around the England national team or around the England supporters.
1: I think now it's got to the point of just willful ignorance, to be perfectly honest. I mean, so many of the England players, the management have spoken about what it means to them. They've spoken about exactly why they're doing it. It's been covered massively across the newspapers, the TV, of course. I mean, if you're an England fan with a ticket to a game in Middlesbrough, I doubt very much that you've missed all of this stuff. You know, you must have seen some of it in the build-up. So to then make the decision that you're still going to do it is... Yeah it's a, it's 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 a big step in in you're trying to show that you really disagree but i do find that those people that c- c- consistently conflate the sort of defund the police the marxism the you know again it's just deliberate you know willful ignorance there's no way that you genuinely feel that Marcus Rashford and Jude Bellingham are there trying to get money taken away from the police or anything like that and aside from that taking the knee in sport in particular had nothing to do with black lives matter You know, you can go back to Colin Kaepernick, you can go even further than that in terms of other protests against racism and social injustice in sport. But but in particular, the taking of the knee was there to be something that was respectful when there was a huge debate over whether it was disrespectful to... Sit down during the national anthem, which is what originally Colin Kaepernick did. He chose to sit down rather than stand up. And some army veterans and Nate Boyer in particular were very unhappy with this and said it was disrespectful. So they met Colin Kaepernick and Nate Boyer's suggestion was as an army veteran that he kneel because that is something that they did to pay respects. And so the kneeling was born out of that, born out of that. And then to come you know, five years later and have people still not get it or try and portray it as something different. You know, it's, it's very deliberate. There's no reason to pretend now that
3: people are confused because I think the information has been out there. Henry? Yeah, Hugh, can I just pose a quick question? What debate would we be having today and what would our reaction have been if the England players had walked off when they heard the boos?
1: Well, yeah, to to be honest, I think they'd all be, you know, everyone would be saying they overreacted, you know, these football prima donnas can't even take a bit of booing probably would have been the reaction, you know, it's PC woke culture gone mad, I think would have been the the general conversation, uh, at least in certain quarters. But, um, you know, one of the things that I think is interesting is, of course, that there was the kneeling was done in America during the national anthem. And I think if these players decided not to stand for the national anthem during the Euros and decided to kneel during the national anthem in particular, the country would go, you know, media and otherwise go ballistic. And I don't think any of these England fans would prefer them to kneel during the national anthem. Um, but I think the whole message has been misconstrued. I mean, everywhere. I mean, you you find even commentators on sport talking about it being an anti-racism stance. You see the premier league, they're talking about kneeling for the premier leagues, no room for racism campaign. You know, the whole thing was about social injustice from the beginning. It was about social injustice. Okay. It came into football off the back of the, the murder of George Floyd, but that was not an example of people saying, oh my God, we need to stop racism. That was an, that was in evidence. Social injustice at play. It was saying that someone's life had valued had clearly been valued as being worth less, and and the belief was that that was down to that person's skin colour. So people feel that social injustice is the reason that not just you know people who are a minority ethnic background uh, feel marginalised disproportionately. You know, it's all different types of social injustice. So I think football has played a part in sort of contorting what it is. And I think when it arrived on TV screens with the message Black Lives Matter on the back of shirts or on the sleeve, you know, in the top corner alongside the time on on broadcasts, I think that then for football fans made the two things synonymous. But like I say, I think the information is there now um, that the two things aren't the same. And the, the, the FA, the Premier League, the clubs, the players themselves have all stressed they they have no political affiliation here and it's not a political message. So to ignore the wave of information that you would have been hit with as a football fan over the past few months. Really it shows that that those are the people that have a political, you know, a political stance in the football stadium rather than the players, because they've decided to ignore all the information in front of them to make their their own gesture, which is booing. So again, no one's stopping them from doing that, but I think they 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 must understand exactly why people react how they react again i wouldn't go out and say these people are out and out racist but clearly they are ignoring facts and yeah and following their own view on what the situation is despite the, the hundreds of thousands of people telling them it's otherwise so I, look i think it might affect england in, in the tournament and uh, as uh, you know, and as southgate said
2: i think you know just you know just <laughs> i mean you'd like everyone to think about the you know the, the, as you say, the social injustice that's, that's behind it. But actually, even if you just think, you know, how, how do I make Marcus Rashford feel? Yeah. You know, three, sec- three seconds before he's about to kick off a game representing his country proudly wearing the shirt that, you know, I'm supporting. Then even, even if that's your only motivation to maybe to, 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 to bite your tongue that, that you would hope that's enough. You know, just just that one second of thought. That's all Southgate was asking for. One second of thought of how will this make Marcus Rashford feel? And, you know, say if that's not enough, then you,
1: you start a bit to despair, really. The final thing very quickly that I would say on it is, you know, there has always been not just in sport, but generally in life, you know, a feeling that particularly when it comes to anything that's seen as being um, protests against anti-black racism, whether that goes back to the civil rights movement. You know, there has always been a, you can protest, but you've got to change the way you've protested. You can do it, but on our terms. So you see a lot of people saying, well, wasn't kick it out enough or weren't t-shirts enough. No one booed the t-shirt. Da, 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 da. But but essentially it boils down to, well, we find that, that form of protest acceptable. So you should be allowed to do it. And of course, we don't think taking the knees is appropriate. So you shouldn't be allowed to do it. And I think that's a really... Um, difficult place for us to be in and that's probably why people do call it divisive because there's no, there's no answer really uh, to that. Um, look Up next, we're going to look ahead to what happens at the weekend and get back to the football, of course. Croatia in England's first match at Euro 2020. But remember, if you are enjoying the podcast, give us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcast from. And with a huge summer to come, make sure you're subscribed to The Times and The Sunday Times right now. We've got so many special podcasts coming for you, but also, of course, articles, features, all the information you need to enjoy the tournament to its fullest. If you sign up today, you will get yourself one one month three. So just go online, search thetimes.co.uk forward slash the game to get yourself started.
0: The train is now approaching. Junction and platform. Passengers. Airport, please stay on board. Next stop. Road station. iOS helps you control which apps you share your exact location with. There's more to iPhone.
1: England's first match at Euro 2020 at Wembley on Sunday is Croatia. And I think it's going to be a difficult game for them. Three key decisions, though, for Gareth Southgate to make. Firstly, and I know we've touched on it, the system. 4-2-3-1 in the first two games. The 4-3-3 could be there with that attacking abandon or we could be going back to the 3-4-3 as well that served us so well at the World Cup. So, gentlemen, I wanted to ask you, which of the systems should England play
4: and why? Tom Clark, I'll start with you. Thanks very much, You, Cheers. Send it Send it to me first. That's the most impossible one. I wanted to listen to the guys go and then just say, yeah, what they said. Um, I mean, I have spent all season advocating a back three, partly to one Gregor New up, but uh, I'm going to abandon that and... I've got two different systems down and two different teams. 4-2-3-1 is what I'll go with for the Croatia game. I think it gives the best chance to get some of that security in there that Henry alluded to before with a two-man midfield of Rice and Phillips. But it gives us a chance to get four attacking players in there. I'll go 4-2-3-1 as the system. We'll come to the personnel in a moment, but Matt, which system? I think it would be 433, which
2: is just a tiny tweak of, of what we just discussed. Um, yeah, four, that's, uh, I think that system as well. I think we played it plenty. I, I, I I'm not, it's not a hill I'm going to die on. 4231 with basically the same personnel, but I, yeah. I think four three three because that's how effectively um, the wide players will end up. Foden and Foden
1: and Rashford anyway. Is it the full house, Henry Winter?
3: <laughs> He's got the option of playing three at the back because everyone made all this fuss about four right backs. But actually, Carl Walker was also very much going to be seconded as the right-sided uh, centre half of the three, uh, as he did in Russia. So. <laughs> So that is an option. They, they have used it briefly in games. they've certainly done it in training. but I think it'll be four, two, three, one against Croatia because of their, their strength in the center, and you want those two dogs of war uh, in there. and then probably four three three. With a little bit more pace out wide against scotland second key
1: decision
4: for gareth southgate and i've seen a lot of people say it this morning hang on hugh come on you can't you've basically bottled it there you're not you can't just (laughs) throw it to the three of us and not pick your own come on paid
1: to ask the questions here thanks very much
4: that's not how it works pick your (laughs) system my
1: friend i've gone three four three so you've um, gone for a back three You've argued against me all season and you've gone to a three. just to be clear, this is who I think, this is what I think Gareth Southgate would play. The human waistcoat, <laughs> as I like to call him. He's going to be very reserved going into this first game because of course they just haven't had time to really gel. So I think he will be very safety first against Croatia, which means the 3-4-3 for me. Uh, let's come to the personnel though, in the defence in particular. Um, Tom, once again, I'll start with you. A lot of people saying this morning, Ben White's inclusion
4: means he should go and start that first game. I think that's a hell of an ask. Um, I rate Ben Ben White very highly. Um, And I think he's got a big future. I think he could easily move on from Brighton to a big club. But I think that's a hell of an ask. I would go Connor Cody um, alongside John Stones just for his experience. Obviously, Cody's part of the leadership group. Um, He'll provide that kind of all action, shouting, commanding uh, presence that we'll be lacking without Harry Maguire. So I'd, I'd go Cody alongside Stones. Fullbacks? Does it matter? Fullbacks would be uh, for the uh, f- because of the uncertainty. I would pick um, Kyle Walker alongside John Stones, i.e., two players who know each other and play to play together in the same team for their clubs. And at left back, I'd go Luke Shaw, Matt Dickinson. You said four, two,
1: three, one. Who's your
2: defense? Carl uh, Walker is the, the first name down. No, uh, John stones. Um, those are the two easy ones. Uh, I mean, that, that second, these, the other center half, um, um, yeah, I'm trying to be upbeat. Um, I mean, I, you know, then ben, why is generally in my, th- is genuinely in my thoughts, which you'd have asked me three weeks ago. Um, yeah, uh, yeah, you know, he was nowhere near my thoughts, so that maybe shows how either how hard it is to be England manager, or that um, um, yeah, this is not an easy situation. I mean, Connor Cody's obviously got more experience, but Ben White looks more mobile to me. He looks, um, uh, you know, I, can I can I say I'd like to see a week of training and see the two of them alongside <laughs> each other? I, I, what I do know is that I'd like I'd like a back four, and I don't. I have to say, you know, Tyrone Mings is not. Is, is I'm ruling him out. If Maguire's ruled out, then it is basically Cody or Ben, it is Cody or Ben White. And, uh, Ben White is, <laughs> he's got every chance as they say, and left back, I mean, you are, you know, it does feel like tossing a coin to be honest. I, I think Chilwell, Chillwell or Shaw is close. I, I have to say, I'm going Chilwell by a whisker. Cause I think he's, um, um, yeah, I, I'm going Chilwell by an absolute whisker. Um, I, I like um I like a lot of what, what he's done um at Chelsea this season, but it's yeah, Luke Shaw's been excellent as well. Um I I yeah, I, again Southgate will see them in training and there'll be a minus a minuscule decision. There's not a wrong decision there, I don't think. Henry Winter, you're full?
3: Yeah, I'll start on the the, the side that, fin- that Dicko that finished on. I mean, I would go with Shaw, partly because of his understanding with uh, with Marcus Rashford. If you're going to play Rashford, then Shaw. That's you sort true. of will I'll, sh-
2: I'll, I'll, I'll reverse. i I'll reverse out of Chirwell. <laughs> <I'm good>. Yeah, <laughs> he changed already.
3: I really feel that Ben Chilwell should be starting. Um, no, I definitely Shaw with uh, because of Rashford on that side. I mean, I, I take Matt's point completely about uh, Tyrone Ming's. The only advantage he gives you gives you a bit more balance on that you know that left sided element. But I think it will be Cody, Stones and Walker. Personally, I will play Rhys James. I think he's in fabulous form. I think his delivery, you know, allows it, particularly if you're playing Foden further forward and Foden's pushing inside. But then again, I guess Walker and Foden will have that understanding. But I think it will be Walker, Stones, Cody, Shaw.
1: And my formation allows me to pick everyone in defence. So I'm absolutely delighted (laughs) to say, you've got to pick three centre-halves now, which I don't, you know, I was struggling (laughs) to pick two. Well, I've gone for for Rhys James and Luke Shaw as my wing backs Walker is the right sided of the three John stones in the middle. And I've stayed with Tyrone Mings for his presence in the air. I know he's not playing very well. Of course he's left footed as well, which helps with the balance on that side. But I just think generally, I know he hasn't defended great in the four, but this helps him. This formation helps him. He's got the added support of
4: those around him. Why can't Tyrone Mings play, Tom? I just want producer John to dig back through the archives and find the episode where you and I had a big argument about England playing a back three. And I said, yeah, but what about Tyrone Mings? He provides balance. He's left-footed. He's great. And you wouldn't let me have it. And here you are, a week before. Who'd be the
1: manager? Eh? Gareth Southgate, like I said, this formation is all about him. I've chosen this on his personality as a manager. I think he. <laughs> I, no, listen. Genuinely speaking, I look at I look at him on the bench, and I see the conversations that he has with his his coaching staff, and he never seems to me to be the person in total control over the decisions on substitutions. On on those things that a manager really earns their money on, which is knowing, sensing the time in a game that he has to make changes and then making the right ones, I still feel like there's a little bit of Gareth Southgate. You can call it inexperience if you like. I don't think that's probably the right term anymore, but just self-confidence. I don't feel it. So And that's why I think there's going to be a 3-4-3 because I don't feel like he has confidence in his players either to go out there and beat a team like Croatia. So for me, it's a, back, it's a 3-4-3. And I think that's the way to go into the tournament. I don't know if it will win him the tournament, but I certainly think that's the way he should start. Um, Are you happy with that, Tom? Just
4: about, just about. I'll let you off.
1: And thirdly, I don't want to give away the full teams because I think we're going to have a further discussion on it on Thursday, but I think Jack Grealish, I know Matt, earlier on, you've said Marcus Rashford. Henry, am I right in saying that you would pay Marcus Rashford over Jack
3: Grealish as well? Yeah, because of that pace, because of that experience, because of that goal threat. I mean, Grealish offers so much, I agree. But he's, he, I mean, if we're talking about what Gareth Southgate will do, I mean, he was initially, when Grealish was around the fringes of the squad, he was always sort of almost slightly dismissive in, in some of his comments about him. Then he saw him in training, then he saw him playing in Copenhagen when he came on and, and made a difference. I think he's, uh, he's absolutely warm to Grealish's personality. I mean, he's, he's completely fearless. But I still think his, his front four will be a huge call to be made on Raheem Sterling. He's not been in the best form, but I think it will be Rashford, Mount, Foden with Kane up top.
4: Tom? Part of the reason for specifying that my formation is a four-two-three-one 3 one is that I'm going to do something slightly mad and leave out Mason Mount, which seems utterly bizarre given that he's one of the most standout players of the season. Matt Dickinson not shaking his either. head. Henry's throwing his headphones <laughs> down. <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm turning everyone against me. But just pick two defensive midfielders. It Sacked the manager. You, I'm, not, I'm singing you don't know what you're doing already. The game hasn't even kicked off. Sacked in the morning. Pick Rice and Calvin Phillips as your two holding midfielders and then pick Foden, Grealish, Rashford, Kane because that would be the four that would scare Croatia the most. It's, ter- it's terrible on Mason Mount. He's one of the most adaptable and brilliant players that I've seen this season. But it gets Grealish in and then I'm, and then we'll lose 2-0. Two,
3: just a technical thing. Who takes your set pieces?
4: Good question. Probably Marcus Rashford. Corners? Yeah, Marcus is decent on a corner. And Luke Shaw's taken the corners for Man United this season. Harry Kane's got experience of taking
2: corners.
3: <laughs>
4: <laughs> Mount and Phillips
2: either side of Rice, because, um, you know, in my brilliant 4-3-3, um, uh, that won't be outnumbered. Got um, got a bit of everything in that midfield. And then, uh, yeah, Foden, uh, Foden cutting in off the right. Rashford streaking down the left. Kane dropping in. I've just won the game 2-1.
1: Outwitted the Croatians. Uh, For me, with the wing backs, you don't need that out-and-out pace, I don't think. And also, you don't need numbers in the middle because you can play down either flank more so. So I've put Mason Mount alongside Rice in the middle and Jack Grealish has to start. I don't see any way that Raheem Sterling's form has been anywhere near good enough. And even Marcus Rashford, he just looks so jaded at the moment. You know, (sighs) I just think Jack Grealish is the one that looks like they're going to do something and I just I I don't see how you leave him out at the moment you know Marcus Rashford he just with all due respect he doesn't look like he's going to win a game for England and Jack Grealish looks like a match winner I mean the idea that the manager knows what they're doing and they leave out Jack Grealish just for this first game the others might work their way back in they might be brilliant in training they might get a little bit of a rest and, and come back to the four, but I think Jack Grealish has to be in there for the first match Tom
3: sorry Tom before you go can I just sort of dive in very quickly on that as, as official sort of Marcus Rashford um, champion <laughs> he he should have had a penalty in the first half AR would have given him a penalty when he was he was clearly brought down he took his penalty brilliantly in the second half he's just come back from all the the racist abuse and all the different types of abuse that he received in Gdansk I mean we I know it was slightly controversial thing to do in in some readers eyes but we printed some of the abusive messages that he received on Instagram and you know there were voice messages in there i mean this is a this is a guy who has been through the mill and yet he is still producing you know that 60 games and he, he keeps on he keeps on scoring he keeps on delivering as you say said quite rightly earlier he was being uh, a, a booed by fans three seconds before kicking off and he still goes and produces a, a performance like that. I think this season he's stood up for his country on and off the field and I just think he has—he absolutely has to play and my one I love Jack Grealish to bits and I've been raving about him over the last or 10 days it seems like over the last sort of two years but remember he's going to be playing against Croatia and these Croatian tacklers are not going to be the sort of the robust ones like um, Austria and uh, Romania, they will try little things to, uh, to wind him up. They'll nick the ball off him. They will, it's uh, going to be a, a far more sophisticated game. So if you're choosing between Rashford and Grealish, obviously Greenish can play coming in off the left but I also think he can have a huge impact coming off the bench
1: Listen, we, I'm starting to be more encouraged about what England can do in this tournament I'm hearing those names I'm hearing what great players there are maybe there's a little bit of emotion ahead of you know form in this one maybe Gareth Southgate if we just keep talking about the front end of the team we're fine it's just, it's just, <laughs> then it just forget
2: forget. it's like um yeah it's like a pantomime horse basically yeah um, anyway sorry I interrupted you in your
1: flow no no No, I was just just saying that I I feel like there's a little bit of a a sense of emotion when it comes to the England team. You know, everyone chooses a favourite and they say, yeah, I've got faith in this person. You know, we've got superheroes in the team. You know, people aren't really looking at what what they've produced of late. I'm just saying, I'm just saying, uh, you know, we'll leave it until Thursday's podcast for more people to come back at me, I'm sure. But I wanted to talk about being an England fan generally before we end as well, because I feel like there is that emotion always going into a a national tournament, an international tournament, you know, that sense of pride, but you've also got the, the the pain of previous, you know, tournaments and stuff like that. And I wonder whether as an England fan, you guys would, would go into this tournament with more hope than expectation or vice versa. Should we expect from this England team or should we just hope they do well? Are they that good that we should be expecting a lot of them? Henry, I'm gonna start with you.
3: Well, I think I'm an England reporter rather than an England fan. I mean, obviously, I want them to do well because I think I like them as individuals. I think this is one of the most impressive bunch of individuals, barring one or two sort of COVID breaches apart. I think, it's one of, I think they're some of the most impressive individuals I've met. And if you spend time with the England players and you hear about their journey, as they call it, their pathway, you know, none of them have had it particularly easy. I think you'll find that, I mean, you know, we're talking about Ben White, you know, he's played in all four divisions. You know, he got released by Southampton. You know, he had to try and impress people at Brighton before making his way at Newport County at Posh at uh, and then at uh, Leeds United, obviously. So I, I find them a very impressive uh, bunch of individuals. So I want them to do well as people. And w- w- where Dicko and I were sitting yesterday, the f- their families were, were sitting about sort of 20 rows in front of us. And the pride that they were taking, they were standing up, they were filming the whole national anthem. You know, this is a, this is a huge thing for, for their families. So if we're looking at them as a group of people, absolutely, I want them to do well. If we're looking, coming back to, to Matt's very correct point, if we're looking at them as a, a, a front four, front six, absolutely, England got some of the best players in the world there. I mean, you look at Fogin, you look at Mount, we're having a debate whether Grealish should start or not. Harry Kane could go for 150 million euros this summer. England, you know, Rashford, the work that he's done. England have got some amazing players. You know, Raheem Sterling slightly out of form at the moment, but we've seen the work that he's done for Manchester City, Liverpool before that, and obviously with England too. So I think it's, it's very, very, very exciting. But I always put these things in perspective. England haven't really gone rah-rah into a tournament since 2006. I think that, you know, Stephen Gerrard's favorite famous phrase, we went around Germany blowing our own trumpet, and came home mute with embarrassment. I think there's a lot more measured uh, approach to tournaments about England now. Also, I think about the fans and, I think, and certainly the media. And I think the final thing is you've only got to look at the, the quality that France have got. We don't have an N'Golo Kante. I mean, we talk about our attacking riches. They've got Griezmann, Mbappé, Benzema, Giroud. You know, you look at the players, they've got Belgium, who I think, you know, might might well go on and nick it. So let's put the whole thing in perspective. We've got a very good attacking team, but I worry when our uh, defence has the ball.
1: So I think Henry falls into the hope camp then. Uh, Matt, what about you?
2: Yeah, I think I think we have to, don't we? As Henry rightly says, look, you know, there are some obvious um obvious strengths um plus we got home ad- advantage um i you know uh, but the 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 weakness as we discussed on this is 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 glaring and for example you know this is tournament football some tiny margins you can win the group play the second team in the group of of death so to speak and you could end up facing say portugal in um Uh, in, in the last 16. So it's, you know, and that is going to be a game of, of tiny margins, you know, that you're up against Bruno Fernandes and Diaz and, um, and many more, you know, Bernardo Silva and, and an awful lot of exceptional players, um, a a team that won it last time and has probably got stronger since. So, you know, these, you know, until we have, you, until you see that type of, 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 you know, uh, how that unfolds, you know, you, you realise, yeah, the mar- the margins are incredibly slim. I think there's say, there is a lot going for this team. I, I, I hope that the biggest hope, to be honest, is that we just get to enjoy a ride. I think that's as much as you can hope for. You know, it's not like you can sit there and say, England should win this tournament because, as Henry rightly says, there are teams, you know, there's only one, if not two or three, that are probably as, you know, stronger, um, certainly in Fra- in France's case. So the best you can hope for is that they, you know, they give off their best, they get on a roll, they get a fair win behind them and we get to enjoy a long ride. I mean, I'm des, you know, no England team has won a tournament in my lifetime. There's no one who would love to see it more than me, but, um, yeah, as, a, as Henry says, as a journalist, you have to tamper that, that longing with a bit of realism and, uh, objectivity when the
1: typewriter comes out as well. Two hopes, Tom Clark.
4: <laughs> um, well, I went to the World Cup in South Africa with a group of friends as fans before I became a cynical journalist like I am now. Um, <laughs> and the the feeling there was expectation followed by lots of lots of disappointment. We were at the famous Algeria game. God I won't say dear. I won't say, I won't say whether we booed or not. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, we were there, and it was just utterly dismal. So I think speaking for that group of friends who I know are massive, massive England fans, it's hope, but they have an expectation on one thing and that is around the attacking, exciting players. There's been lots lately I've seen on Twitter and social media clips of Wayne Rooney at Euro 2004 and everyone going, my God, what an absolutely unbelievable talent he was. And so I think the only expectation with England fans, certainly taking my friends as a uh, example is that we'll see some of that excitement from Phil Foden, Jack Grealish, I mean, we went through our teams before we didn't even mention Jade and Zancho. We've all benched Raheem Sterling. I mean, it is unfathomable the amount of attacking talent we've got. Um, and I'm sure Gregor Robertson will be listening to this podcast before his return on Thursday and laughing at me talking about attacking talent when I've talked all season about back threes and playing it safe. But I think that's where that's where all England fans are at. They're looking at Jack Grealish, Phil Foden, and going, "Let's scare some people. Let's let's have those, some of those magic moments." And and you know, Dicko talked about a ride. Um, Obviously in the World Cup it was a ride of success and oh my God, we're actually going to do this. We're going to score goals from set pieces and be quite solid and we might even win this. Maybe the ride this time can be, goodness me, we've got a lot of attacking, exciting players. So I think that's there. There is an element of expectation, but stick me in the hope camp, definitely.
3: Can I just add one final thing? I I, I wrote a book ages ago, which did really badly on on England because <laughs> the, but, but, part, partly because it was so poorly written, but also because the uh, the publisher said, "Well, it would have done well if England had had done well." And I said, "Well, the whole point about the book is why England." don't do well at tournaments and it was quite interesting when i gave them the i said the right the book is called 40 years of hurt or 50 50 years of hurt and they said um, can we just add a little line underneath it which says and why we never stop believing and actually i thought that was quite cute of the, the, the publishers sitting in their offices in, in Chiswick actually tapping into what it is to be an England fan that we understand the years of hurt but actually we don't stop believing and that we do turn up as, as Matt and Tom say we do turn up the England fans turn up partly for the ride but partly because one day it might just happen.
1: Listen I'm in the expectation camp I think you're right Henry I think this is a better squad in many ways of course the forward areas are predominantly where that talent is But you have to ask what really holds them back from winning a tournament. Is it the fact that the the pressure's there? Is it the manager, maybe relative inexperience in the squad, a very young squad? But you're playing at Wembley, and I don't think there's going to be, for the vast majority of the games, a better opportunity. I also look at even the best teams in the tournament. I think this England squad should have the quality to at least you know, show a, a very strong showing against the likes of France and Portugal or Germany, you know, even if they are to be beaten. But I do think there's this feeling that if we play France, it's all over. And I, I'm not sure. I'm not sure it's all over, even against a France as good as they are, because our players individually match up. And that's why I say, well, what's the reason that they can't compete? And, do you know, funnily enough, one of the first things I ever did in journalism that got me my first opportunity for work experience, so someone was making a documentary about why England got knocked out of the World Cup for the BBC in 2010. And I I met them and they just said, look, I'm making this documentary. Can you send me some reasons why um, you you think England got knocked out of the tournament? Anyway, I sent all these reasons. And one of them that he picked up on was, I said, our team spirit and unity. And I think I I genuinely, this is in 2010, I said, we haven't got to grips with multiculturalism. We haven't got to grips with how multicultural the squad is. There isn't a sense of, of... distinct Englishness in there and you look at the other countries and I used Greece as an example and you go, well, everyone on the coaching staff, you know, everyone um, in the squad, you know, they, they have a shared national identity and, and maybe that's the thing that I still, with this booing that's going to come before the games, I feel might might hold us back because as great as this team is together, I, I, I still haven't and maybe that's because I've got Caribbean parents and I was raised in London, had this shared sense of English pride in the, in the team Matt what do you think
2: well it's interesting that you say that cause, and yeah and uh, you know I, uh, I guess it's um yeah it feels like a bit of a a sort of um i don't know sort of cold shower and 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 Maybe that's necessary because I see the work that Southgate has done around team culture, and you know, we did the piece with Owen Eastwood um, a couple of weeks ago. I don't know if you saw in the Times about you know the he's the sort of culture guru that they've brought in, and I think they do take that very seriously, you know, and they've gone back and sort of thought about what England represents. Um, you know, the three lions badge might mean very little to some people. But they've tried to make some sort of meaning out of that, and they've tried to talk about divert you know the diversity of the squad as well and just what in Englishness means and what this squad you know there's the sort of harmony around that so you know clearly they've got to do more if you know you and obviously you know you, you don't sort of feel like they've sort of fully got it or fully embraced it but i you know I do feel like the one I think the best thing going for Southgate certainly in the internal sense maybe it's not communicated as well as it could be outside but i think almost the best thing that southgate has done is around you know people might say it's a woolly word of culture what that means but i think they take it very seriously i think sort of standards and values are very important to him um and i think yeah i I think they put a lot of time and thought into it maybe maybe you can never put too much time and thought into that sort of stuff
1: i'm hoping for a great campaign for england at euro 2020 especially as it gives us so much more to talk about as we progress through the game podcast this summer we'll look ahead to the tournament as a whole on thursday as well so so much more to look forward to i am off to heathrow airport to get a flight to azerbaijan so i will speak to you from baku next time but matt dickinson tom clark henry winter it's been a fantastic conversation interesting and enlightening, as always, and much more to come throughout the summer as well. Remember, if you're enjoying the Game Podcast, well, you can listen on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Acast or your favourite podcast supplier. You can also get the show and all our other podcasts from the Times at the Times Radio app. Just search Times Radio on your usual app store. But remember this summer, we'll review the latest news daily. We'll look ahead to the upcoming games. We'll have all the best reaction and analysis from the Times journalists and pundits as well as reporters in the camp of all the home nations and others based around Europe. So plenty more to come throughout the summer with the game podcast. Thanks for listening. We will be back on Thursday. We'll see you then.